Bismillah wa salatu wa salamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'in thumma amma ba'd I want to show you something on the other screen I'll write it in English even, it's easier Okay, can you read the first word for me? No, 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 read the first word for me This is how loud you can read, mashallah this is, a... is this how you act at a party when you go somewhere? How are you? <laughs> How was your Ramadan? <laughs> Some of my students do that when they don't know the answer to a question in a class. So, is that mudaf? <laughs> what you say? <laughs> and the best one is they, they say the full sentence, but right at the part of the sentence where there's the answer, the volume goes down. The answer is actually... <laughs> so like, uh, could, you, could you turn that up again? Could you, you know? So, read the first word. Very good. Some of you, mashallah, come from very wealthy families, and you are raised as aristocrats, and you're not like the rest of us peasants. So you don't like to speak out loud in front of the rest of us local, you know, middle class, lower class people. So you just sit there like, no. <laughs> but the rest of you, I would, urge the, I would urge the aristocrats among you also to join today the rest of the farming class and say with us, Sumbula. Sumbula. Ah, that's better. Sumbulat. Sanabil. Okay, this is a comparison between three words. Sumbula, Sumbulat, and Sanabil. Sumbula is an ear of grain. What that means is sometimes you have a, a, a crop like corn. You know, corn grows and it has these peels and you peel them and there's e the grain inside. Right, that ear itself that you peel, that's called a sumbula. That's the singular version. Sumbulat is the plural. So ears, ears of corn are sumbulat. And then sanabil is also another plural. This is unique in Arabic because in Arabic you can have multiple plurals for one word. So for example, there's kafir, means disbeliever. Uh, the plural is kafirun, like قُلْ يَا kafirun. Or you can also say kuffar. You can also say kuffar. You have multiple plurals. Sometimes you have, for example, nabiyun, that's the plural of nabi. You also have the plural anbiya. That's also a plural of nabi. In other words, in Arabic it is possible to have multiple plurals for one word. It's possible. Actually, kuffar, you have kafir, the singular. Kafirun is plural. Kuffar is plural. And kafara is also plural. Ulaikahumul kafaratul fajara. That's also plural. So there are multiple plurals possible. The question then is what is the difference between one plural and another plural? In English, when I make something plural, I just put an S at the end and I'm done. Finished. That's a plural. But the Arabs have multiple plurals. What's the point of them? Well, actually, there is a point to them. The plural at, sumbulat, is actually considered a weak plural. And sanabil is considered a strong plural, or a super plural, or a plural on steroids, or a really muscular plural, or... You see where I'm going with this. Sumbula is weak, sanabil is strong. Now in English, when you read the English translation of the Qur'an, if you read sumbulat, it would just say ears of grain. If you read the English translation of Sanabil, it would still say ears of grain. It would not tell you that one is weak and the other is strong. Now the, the thing about weak and strong also, is that when you have less than 10, if it's just single digits, then it's weak, it's not that many. 
You can count them between your hands. So they use the weak plural for that. When it's mysteriously more, it's uncountable almost, then you use the more powerful plural. You understand? So for something that's meager in number, weak in number, then you use the weak plural. When it's strong in number, you use the strong plural. Now here's the mystery. The Qur'an uses these ears of grain only twice. Only twice. But the, the amazing thing is that both times it's talking about the number seven. So it's not like it's a different quantity. It's both the number seven. So the ayah in Baqarah says, you know, Every ear of grain, like when you spend in the path of Allah, the example of what you spend is like a seed, and every seed gives birth to seven ears of grain, and every ear, when you peel it, has a hundred grains inside it. So your one donation got multiplied by how much? Seven hundred. Wallahu yudha'ifu liman yasha and above and, above, above and beyond that Allah multiplies in his own way for whoever he wants meaning this is multiplication you understand then there's a multiplication you can't understand and he does that too right but here he used the word here he used the word sanabil which is a weak plural or a strong plural and how many ears of grain are we talking about seven in the next one was Saba Sumbulatin Khudrin. Seven ears of seven green ears of grain. Anyone know where that's used? Seven fat cows, seven skinny cows, seven ears of grain. Anything ring a bell? The story of Yusuf the dream of the king. You remember? So now the dream of the king, he sees seven ears of grain. But when his seven ears of grain are being talked about, what word is used? Sumbulat, the weaker plural. Now, I told you, you would, normally you would use the strong plural for more and weak plural for less. It is so beautiful that in the Quran, Allah used the weak plural when he talked about the story of Yusuf because the dream, when it was interpreted, meant that there is not going to be enough food. So you have to really save the food and ration it because you're going to have seven years when there's not going to be any crop and the stored crop is going to save you. So you don't have enough to just eat however you want, you have to ration, you have to take it easy. So it's less, not enough quantity, a weak quantity. So the weak plural is used. On the other hand, in Surah Al-Baqarah, Allah is saying, you spend very little for him, and he will multiply it many, 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 many times over. This is going to be a way of empowering your work with huge rewards. This is a context not of using the weak plural, but the strong plural, so he uses sanabil. They're both seven years, but one is mysteriously far more powerful than the other. SubhanAllah. You know? So Allah chooses the right word at the right place. This, was, this is a study of how you know, we say in a khutbah or in a talk, we give the claim that the Qur'an uses every word perfectly. Every word is exactly where it's supposed to be. We say that, but we don't taste it. Like we don't experience it. And I want these examples, I, I want to give you some taste of it. Like look, this word, if you move it from here, it wouldn't make sense anymore. It's so much more perfect to use it in this way. So even though this next example is actually very profound, it's about Ibrahim salam. So let me put some words on the screen for you so you can compare this lesson and understand it. I think uh, many of you know the word ni'mah. 
What does it mean? Blessing, very good. So ni'mah means one blessing. Ni'am means many, 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 many blessings. An'um is another plural, means a few blessings. Which one's the strong plural? Which one's the weak plural? Ni'am is the strong plural. So I'm going to put some, some labels here for the two of you that are taking notes. So this is singular. This one is super plural. This one is weak plural. Strong plural, weak plural. Okay? Again in the Quran, Allah uses the strong plural of blessing one time and the weak plural for blessing one time. So when the question arises, when does he use the strong one? When does he use the weak one? By the way, this discussion, would it ever even occur to you if you were only reading the Quran in translation? This wouldn't actually, you wouldn't even have this question. It wouldn't even cross your eye. you just pass over it. Okay? So let's look at it. By the way, you guys understand this now? Ni'mah is the singular. Ni'am is the plural, the strong one. And An'um is the weak plural. Okay? Now, Inna Ibrahima kana ummatan Ibrahim salam was an ummah, is talking about Ibrahim salam, and he says, Shakiran li an'umihi. Describing Ibrahim salam, he was grateful for Allah's blessings. An'um. Is that a weak plural or a strong plural? You're right, that's a weak plural. Ibrahim salam was grateful for a few blessings. What? That doesn't sound right. We're talking about Ibrahim salam. I was expecting Allah to say he was grateful for what? Many blessings. But Allah says he was grateful for a few blessings. Now I'm left with my head scratching like why is the weak plural being used here? Let's look at the other one. He unleashed, he unloaded, he released onto you his blessings. The ones you can see and the ones you can't see. Which plural is used? Ni'am. Is that weak or strong? Not strong. So one time Allah uses weak, the other time Allah uses strong. So let's understand this. To understand this properly, you have to understand another ayah of the Qur'an where Allah says, وَإِن تَعُدُّوا نِعْمَةَ اللَّهِ لَا تُحْصُوهَا If you were to try to count the favor of Allah, the blessing, singular, the blessing of Allah, you wouldn't be able to do it. The ayah says, you can't even count to one. And by the way, if all human beings joined together to count for one blessing of Allah, Allah says you can't fully account for it. Not all the blessings of Allah. The ayah is remarkable. Ni'mata, ni'matun is singular, pair, plural, what is it? Singular. The ayah says not ni'am Allah, an'um Allah. And some say it's ism jins. That's fine, but you know, in, in the sense of the balagha, actually something else is being said. Like for example, my ability to see. How many ways has my ability to see benefited me in my life? How many ways has it benefited me today? Can I count? No. How many ways has the, my heartbeat benefited me? How many ways has the air I breathe benefited me? Can I count? I can't even fully account for one, one gift of Allah. And that's not just me. Allah is challenging all of humanity to get together and even then they can't even account for one of them. 
So when Ibrahim السلام, is able to accomplish a few, it's a pretty big deal. That's why it says a few. That's huge. It's comparative. The other problem is as follows. Ibrahim السلام, is one of the most grateful human beings that ever lived, right? He's one of the most grateful human beings that ever lived. As long as he lives, if he spends every second of his life thanking Allah for, for a blessing, if he spent every second of his life thanking Allah, how many favors of Allah did he thank him for? Many or a few? It still amounts to only a few. Because if human beings spent their entire existence thanking Allah for the gifts He's given them, the amount that they would be able to thank Him would still actually still mean what? Very few compared to the actual gifts. We can't compete. We will never thank Him enough. We're never going to be able to thank Him enough. So Allah is giving us some perspective when He says that He was only able to give me how many? A few blessings. Thank me only for a few of them, because that's all a human being can do. You can't thank me for a lot of blessings. That's not, you're not capable of it. You're just not capable. But now look at the other ayah. He unloaded onto you, he released onto you, he unleashed onto you many, many, many blessings. The ones you see and the ones you don't see. You understand the comparison now? When Allah gave us blessings, did He give us a few or many? He gave us many. When we thank Him, we're not humanly able to thank Him for more than just a few. That's the comparison here between the powerful plural and the weaker plural. And this entire lesson of the Qur'an would never happen if we don't pay attention to what Allah is saying in the Arabic. The, and, and by the way, in modern Arabic, you wouldn't even just... In, in formal Arabic, it's not even a conversation. You just pass along. It doesn't happen. Okay? Alrighty. You guys doing okay, by the way, attention span-wise? Okay, good. Oh, should I do this one? Yes, I should. It's about Jannah. We should do this one. I really want to go. Not yet, though. Some people come up to me and say, Brother, may Allah give you Jannah. I was like, hold, hold on a second. Eventually. Abhi say, bhej you already sending me? Like, take it easy. <laughs> Anyway, Sari'u, Sari'u. Those of you who can read the Arabic, what's the next underneath the, that line? Instead of Sari'u, how does the next one begin? Sabiqu. One begins with Sari'u, the other begins with Sabiqu. Pretty awesome. Sari'u means rush. Like if you go to Hajj or Umrah, the cop tells you, Sur'a, Sur'a. Ya Hajj. I don't know what the flower blooming is for, but. There are constantly flowers blooming. Hajj, Hajj, Hajj. I was so excited when I went to Hajj. I was like, finally, I will get to practice some Arabic. I didn't. Every time I tried to speak in Arabic, I'm like, eh? Eh? My best experience was when I went to this Yemeni guy, and I was like, uh, in al-masjid. And he, you know, the Urdu word for straightforward, straight ahead is sida. He goes, Intaliq Sida. I was like, where are you from? He's like, I'm from Yemen. I'm like, why are you speaking Urdu, man? <laughs> you got the Yemen, the Pakistanis, you got the Yemeni guy to speaking Urdu in, in Medina. That's crazy. 
It's like, I thought I went there to learn Arabic. Nope. Even the guy, you guys probably don't even understand. This guy says selling like fruits and bananas. And he's like, Panjareal, Panjareal, Panjareal. I'm like, Panjareal? Panj is five in Urdu. Like, he can't even say khams because you know, nobody's going to understand him. My favorite experience was though when I was in one of those markets in Makkah. There was a Nigerian woman and there was a, there was a, a Yemeni uh, cash, the, 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 the guy at the store. And the guy is talking to her in Urdu. And she's speaking to her in her local language. <laughs> and they understand each other. <laughs> and they're negotiating. And it works out. I mean, this is international trade at its best, you know. <laughs> The one thing I didn't find was Arabic. That's the one thing I didn't find. <laughs> anyway, sari'u and what? Sabiqu. Sari'u means to rush. Sabiqu means to race. Once again, sari'u means to rush. And sabiqu means to race. When do you run faster? When you're rushing or when you're racing? Okay, good. So the second one is somehow more intense than the first one. Because in the second one, you're not just rushing, you are racing. Okay. You're rushing to forgiveness. Sari'u ila maghfiratim min rabbikum. In the second one also, Sari'u sabiqu ila maghfiratim min rabbikum. You want to rush to the forgiveness from your master and you want to race to the forgiveness of your master. But the real comparison I want to give you is wa jannatin. And you should race, you, you should rush towards Jannah and you should race towards Jannah. Allah says, rush to Jannah and He says, race to Jannah. Then he says, how big is Jannah? He says, Arduha as-samawat wal-ard. Its size, its volume is the skies and the earth. Jannah is the size of the skies and the earth. In the next example, he says, Arduha ka ardis-samai wal-ard. Its size is something like the size of whatever lies above and the earth. In other words, the second one's actually bigger. The second Jannah that's being described is actually bigger. You see Samawat and Sama, there's a difference. Samawat actually means seven skies. Sama doesn't mean one sky. Sama actually means whatever is above. Now you think about this logically. When you say seven skies, you're talking about seven floors. When you say everything above, is that more? Yeah. Technically, Sama is more than Samawat. The word sama is actually bigger than the word samawat. And this is, unless you study Arabic linguistics, you wouldn't know. You would think sama is singular and samawat is plural, so the plural should be more than the singular. It's the other way around. Sama is actually more, samawat is less. Unless you qualify sama, if you just say sama, then actually means everything above. Everything above. So what I'm trying to say is the second one, there's a race instead of rushing, so it's more intense. Then the sky itself is described as everything above, it's bigger. The first one Allah says, I, I have prepared this Jannah for people who have taqwa. The Jannah has been prepared for the people of taqwa. Is every Muslim someone who has taqwa? Or only some Muslims have taqwa? Unfortunately, the reality is not every Muslim is a muttaqi. Taqwa is something we should try to get, but not everybody has it. Right? Allah in the next ayah says this Jannah is not just for people who have taqwa. These are the people who have taqwa who at the same time spend money when it's easy and when it's difficult. 
Is that a bigger group of people or a smaller group of people? It's a smaller group of people. And wal-kadhimi, and by the way, these are also the people who swallow their anger, wal-kadhimi al-ghayth. They swallow their anger. So not only do they have taqwa, they also spend when it's easy, when it's hard, and they swallow their anger. Is that a larger group of people or even a smaller group of people now? It keeps getting smaller. وَلَعَافِينَ عَنِ النَّاسِ Not only do they swallow their anger, they also pardon people. They forgive people all the time. Whoa, is that a huge group of people or a very small group of people? The group of people described in the first set of ayat gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. And the group of people in the next ayah, look at it. Allah says, أُعِدَّتْ لِلَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِاللَّهِ وَرُسُولِهِ It has been prepared for those who believe in Allah and His messengers. Is that all of us? Do we believe, do we believe in Allah and His messengers? Yes. Yep. And as a matter of fact, when you say messengers, and you didn't say Rasul, Rasulihi is messenger one. When you say Rasulihi, then you didn't just include the people right now. The believers from the time of Musa, the time of Isa, the time of Nuh, the time of any prophet. All of them are included, so long as you believed in Allah and any of His messengers at their time and even now. Is their doors to invitation open wider in the second ayah? It seems as though Allah is not just entering into Jannah, just the people of Taqwa. He's actually opening the door to anyone who believes in Allah and His messengers. Why don't you rush towards the Jannah, everybody? Everybody. And now you ask, you tell me, if there's an invitation into Jannah, but it's very exclusive, and there's another invitation into Jannah, it's open to everybody. Which one is a bigger favor from Allah? You tell me. The Jannah that is exclusive is a favor from Allah or the open invitation is an extra favor from Allah? So open invitation. Open invitation is a huge favor from Allah because I started thinking the only people who will make it into Jannah are very exclusive people who can control their anger and forgive people and only spend and that's it, Jannah is for them. Me, I don't do that. I have anger problems and I got, you know, my taqwa goes up and down and you know, I don't have, and I don't have a lot of money and when I do, I like to buy chocolate and like I'm not always spending for the sake of Allah, so am I, am I even making it to Jannah? In the first one, you might say there's a, there's, it's tougher. In the second one, you're like, really? I can get to Jannah? Is Allah sure about this? Even me? And so what does he do? He tells me something so perfect. In the second one, when he opened the gates wide open, he said, ذَلِكَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ That is Allah's favor. He didn't say that is Allah's favor in the first one. He said that is Allah's favor in the second one, in, in hadith. Why? Because he opened the gates wider. And that's a favor from Allah. He didn't have to open it wider. He could have made Jannah exclusive. He could have repeated what he said in Ali Imran for the exclusive group. But he said, no, the exclusive have a Jannah, sure. But I want to give this huge Jannah, it's going to be lonely in there for you people. Let's let everybody give them all an invitation. That is a favor of Allah, He gives it to whoever He wants. SubhanAllah. With the, with the perfection of speech. You see, if you, you would even ask, how come it says, ذَلِكَ فَضْلُ اللَّهِ يُؤْتِهِ مَنْ يَشَاءَ That is the favor of Allah, He gives it to whoever He wants. He should have said that in the first one too. No, no, no. In the first one, the favor of Allah is not like the favor of Allah in the second one. So He put it in the second one. The perfection of speech, the placement of words. This is my favorite one. 
So I gotta adjust this, fix myself, and make sure you guys, I need you to stand up, wake up, because I, I, I want your attention on this one. Stand up, stand up, stand up. Do it again, come on. I'm gonna stretch my legs too. Get this one right. You don't get that before a khutbah. Bismillah. I pray Allah gives me the clarity of speech to give, give you this lesson properly. It's one of those. It's one of those. The Quran has at least three words for choice. I'll repeat myself. The Quran has at least three words for choice. There's al-ikhtiyar. There's al-istifa. And al-ijtiba. There are three words for choice. Ikhtiyar comes from the word khayr. You know what khayr means? What's khayr? Good. Ikhtiyar is when you make a good choice. When you make a good choice, it's called ikhtiyar. Or when you make a choice based on the good in something. That's also called ikhtiyar. Istifa is used when you make a choice and it's personal. In other words, the, there was no outside influence. Nobody pushed you or pressured you or convinced you or sold you to make a choice. It was entirely from you that the choice came. That's because it comes from safwa, which is purity. Istifa is to make a pure choice, meaning purely your own. It's purely your own. Nobody else had any say in it. That's istifa. Let me give you an example of istifa. Well, no, before istifa, I'll give you an example of ijtiba, the third one. Ikhtiyar, when you choose something good. Istifa, when it's a pure choice of your own will. And al-ijtiba, when it's a choice based on qualifications. A choice based on qualifications. That needs a little bit of an explanation, inshallah you'll understand. When you go for a job interview, some of you work in human resources. So your job is to do the interviews. So five different people apply for a job. Okay? When they apply for a job, you have to look for what? What do you look for? What color shirt they're wearing? What's their, what's the, what shoe size? What do you look for? Is this the right person for this job? If it's a job that requires teaching, then you're not looking for a mechanic. You have to have the right person with the right qualifications who's the best fit for your company to do this job. You understand? So the interview process is when you pick someone based on, you make a choice, but the choice is based on your what? Qualifications. Who's the right man for the job? When I go to the store with my wife and I'm about to buy some chocolate, as soon as we're about to check out, they put the candy right next to the checkout aisle. So I pick up a Kit Kat. And she says, why did you pick the Kit Kat? Why didn't you pick the Twix? What's wrong with the M&Ms? Why you pick the Kit Kat? And I said, well, according to the laws of thermodynamics, I like Kit Kat. Why did I pick Kit Kat? Because I like it. That's it. I go to buy a shirt. This is why did you pick the green shirt? Why didn't you pick the blue one, the white one, the orange one, the purple one, the brown one? It's like, well, actually, according to the laws of gravity, <laughs> I like green. Why am I picking the green shirt? What's my explanation at the end? I like it. That's it. It's my own choice. That's, leave me alone, woman. <laughs> okay? You understand? It's my choice. 
But when I go and do a job interview and somebody says, why did you hire him? And I say, well, because he was eating Kit Kat. <laughs> <laughs> and he had a green shirt on. That's not a good reason to hire someone. When you hire someone, you look at their what? Qualifications. Now look at these ayat in Surah Al-Hajj. These are ending ayat of Surah Al-Hajj. Allah says, Allahu yastafi min al-malaikati rusulan wa min al-nas. Allah chooses from among his angels and from among the human beings, he chooses certain people to be messengers. Meaning some angels become messengers and some human beings become messengers. And who chooses them? Allah does. But the word he uses is al-istifa. What do you remember about al-istifa? Is that a choice that is good, a choice that is purely one's own, or a choice that is made based on qualifications? A choice that is purely one's own. This was important to say because some members of the Jewish community came to the Prophet and said, why would God pick an Arab? And some others said, wait, which angel brings you revelation? Jibreel? Yeah, we had some problems with him in the past. I would have accepted this message if any other angel was there, but we've had some issues with Jibreel, so uh, sorry, we can't accept in other words, the idea was that Allah chose and He should have consulted us first. And also the Quraysh said, How come this Quran didn't come down to one of the two celebrities in the town? They were, we have some tribe leaders, millionaires, billionaires, we have some rich people in the city. In the city. If they became prophets, we would have listened to them because we listened to them already. Why would He pick an orphan? Why would he pick a guy who, you know, has no, no political status, no nothing, nobody listens to him? You know, why would he pick him? Maybe the angel got the wrong address. <laughs> he came to the wrong house. This is the claim they made. Allah responds to this claim and says, listen, this is how, this was my process for picking messengers. Uh, Allah did the act of, which one? Istifa. What does istifa mean? It is purely his choice. You have how much say in it? And then you get to say nothing. You get to be quiet. And does he owe you an explanation for what he picks? No. He picks Jibreel, he picks Rasulullah sallallahu alaihi wasallam and you don't get to say why and why not. You don't get to say. What one word describes you don't get to say? Istifa. Allah chose, I don't know why, that's it. Allah chose, I'm happy with it. Done. This was how Allah picks who? This is how Allah picks prophets. The next ayah is about how Allah picks you and me to be Muslim. Because you and I are Muslim, not because we were born in a Muslim family, not because we were living in a Muslim country or whatever. We are Muslim because Allah decided that we will be Muslim. Allah chose us. Allah chose every one of you. Why did Allah choose us to be Muslim? Which word for choice will He use? He says, He has selected you. Ijtiba. What do you remember about Ijtiba? A choice based on what? Oh, ho, 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 ho. That means that Allah let you and me become Muslim because according to Allah you and I have certain qualifications 
really? <laughs> you and I have certain qualifications? Yep, it's in the Quran. It's true. How do we understand this point? Let me give you a, a silly example again. So you can internalize what's going on here. You go for a job interview. The job interview is, has to do with programming. And you have no knowledge of programming. But you applied anyway. You just put in your resume and you say, Inna lillahi wa inna And they called you. They called you and you're sitting in the interview. And you're sitting there and yeah, he's like, yeah, this is a lead programmer position. You must have 10 years of experience. You must know the following languages, C++, Java, blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I know ABC. <laughs> I know, <laughs> you know, under technical skills, you wrote down Google. Like, <laughs> and this guy is going on and on and on about the technical requirements for this job. And you're sitting there going, uh, when is this painful torture going to end? Let me just go home. I'm embarrassed enough as it is. Clearly, in the first one minute, I knew I'm not qualified. But this guy keeps explaining the job more and more and more. He won't stop it. Please stop and let me go home and cry to myself. Please. I need to go now. He stops describing the job description and says, Okay, well, congratulations. You start tomorrow. And you're like, uh, Me? And the interviewer says to you, listen, I know you think you're not qualified, but I've been doing this a long time. I know you can do this. I know a good learner when I see one. You don't see yourself as an excellent employee here, but I know what I, my experience tells me you're going to do the right job. I believe in you. The interviewer believes in you more than you even believed in yourself. Now let's go back to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Does any one of us thank Allah like He deserves to be thanked? No. Does any one of us praise to Allah like He deserves to be prayed to? Nope. Anyone remember Allah like He deserves to be remembered? No. Allah says, here's the job. وَجَاهِدُوا فِي اللَّهِ حَقَّ جِهَادِهِ Struggle in the path of Allah with no goal in front of you except Allah like He deserves to be struggled for. Struggle like he deserves it. I'll put it in easy English. Struggle, do my work like I deserve it, Allah is saying. Is that an easy job description or a hard job description? That is an impossible job description. Nobody can do haqqa jihadihi. That's impossible. Allah says, do it like it's worthy of me. Do it like I would deserve it. I can't give Allah what he deserves. That's impossible. So by saying this, he necessarily made me unqualified. When he started the ayah, he declared the job that is impossible, therefore I am by definition unqualified. So I am ready to walk out the room. And he says, He, based on your qualifications, selected you. And I said, uh, I can't do it. I mean, you see some qualification in me, I don't even see it in myself. I can't do it. Allah says, relax. وَمَا جَعَلَ عَلَيْكُمْ فِي الدِّينِ مِنْ حَرَجٍ he did not put any difficulty in the religion for you at all. Relax, I'll make it easy. I know it's, I said in the beginning, you have to struggle like I deserve it. I know that's impossible, and I know I picked you. And now he's letting you know, by the way, by the way, I'll make it easy. I wouldn't make anything hard on you, relax. So now even though the job is impossible, Allah says he will make it easy, so I become calm again. I say, okay, okay, okay. 
I can do this. Because Allah said He will make it easy. He will remove all difficulty from it. So I calm down for a second. Then he starts describing the job. And he says, Millata abikum Ibrahim. By the way, you are on the same train and the same legacy and the same struggle as your father who? Which prophet did you hear? Ibrahim. Oh, Allah just told me it's not going to be hard at all. And then he told me, by the way, you're going to be just like Ibrahim. <laughs> like, uh, yeah, Ibrahim Islam. That wasn't hard at all. Jumping into a fire? <laughs> Easy. Easy. Take a knife. Take your son. I want to do that all the time. Tell your father and get kicked out of the house. Go become homeless. Go stand up to a tyrant ruler. Sacrifice your family in the middle of a desert? Does this stuff sound easy? It doesn't sound easy to me. And Allah says, just now He told me it's not going to be hard. Then He reminds me of Ibrahim And by the way, I think jumping in the fire must have been easier. But putting a knife to your child's neck, I, how, how He did that, was beyond me. It's beyond me. Even, even the knife to the child's neck, forget the knife to the child's neck, taking your family in the middle of a desert with a baby and leaving the wife and baby there. That to me, have you ever gone on a trip with your family? If they're kids in the back, what do they do? Uh, it's too hot, turn the AC up, uh, I want to I drink water, give me some water, give me some juice, juice, juice. Now I have to go to the bathroom because I drank too much juice. Like, God! The real jihad fi sabirillah for you and me is the road trip itself. <laughs> right? It's so hard with children. Which, which kind of air conditioning did his camel have? When they're going on the road trip in the desert with a baby. You know, the wife sits in the back, the baby's really hot. Can't you turn it on more? Can't you roll, lower the window? I told you it was a bad idea. And his wife is going with the baby in the middle of a desert, and they go and they sit in the middle of the sand, and he says, see ya. <laughs> that sound easy? No. Him having to walk away from that? That's incredible. And then that same son, he, years later he's grown up, now the father comes back and there's a reunion, and the son doesn't say it. You're the one who left us in the middle of the desert, right, Dad? <laughs> Thanks a lot for that. We're okay now. Uh, uh, what do you want me to do? What, what, do you, what, what do you want me to do? Oh, 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 you want to... You, 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 okay. What an amazing family. It's an amazing family. If Alma Tu'mar, the son says, do whatever you've been told. It's an incredible thing. So now Ibrahim salam is being compared to my struggle. I brought this up because none of it sounds easy. And actually all of it sounds impossible. All of it by definition sounds impossible. But the lesson here is profound. Allah is telling you and me, if Allah can make the impossible easy for Ibrahim salam, what are you going to complain about? What excuse do you have? Do you have to jump into a fire? Am I asking you to do that? Allah is asking. What am I asking you? I'm not asking much from you. If I can make those impossible things easy, you got no problems at all. Millata abikum Ibrahim. Muslimin. He's the one who named you Muslims. Subhanallah. This is Ijtiba. 
The point here is every single Muslim, every single Muslim who was either born in a Muslim family or came and took the Shahada, every single one of them, Allah sees something in them that is worthy of struggling for Him. Otherwise, you would not be, you would not have the honor. I would not have the honor of saying La ilaha illallah, Muhammadur Rasulullah, sallallahu alaihi wasallam. These words are not cheap. They are a gift from Allah, and it is not given freely. It is not given freely. Especially the young audience here, you have to ask yourself, what is it that Allah sees in me that maybe so far I haven't even seen in myself? Because Allah sees it in me, because He says, Ijtabakum, it must be there, I better find it, and then I better put it to use for His deen. I better do something good with it. I better find what it is. And no two people have the same skills. No two people have the same contribution. You know? I, I, ask me to talk, I can talk forever. Ask me to do some administrative task, I will destroy your organization. <laughs> ask me to be in charge of communications, you will have a blackout. You know? There are things I'm good at and there are things I'm terrible at. There are things, there, there are people who are people of research, there are people of, you know, administration, there are people of contrib contributions in writing. There are people can contribute in different ways. You have to find which way are you going to contribute in. That's all inside huwaj tabakum. Okay, do you have the stamina for 10 more minutes? You can handle it? Alright, so we'll do this one more. We can do this one more. There are two words for the heart in the Qur'an. There's qalb and there's fu'ad. Qalb and fu'ad. I'll write that on the screen for you. Again, for the two of you now that are taking notes. The numbers are decreasing. Qalb is heart and fu'ad is also is also heart okay they're both used in the Quran uh, the word fu'ad is unusual uh, the word qalb is typical the word qalb is basically used for the heart it comes from taqallub which is to change because the heart is constantly changing shifting position beating and also figuratively, your feelings are always changing. Your emotions are changing. So that's illustrated in the word qalb. Fu'ad comes from roasting. Fa'ada. Fa'ada al-lahm, to roast meat on an open flame. To put the flesh under intense temperature is lahm fa'id, roasted flesh. The idea of a heart being roasted is the idea of a heart intensified, fired up. In other words, when your emotions are excited, when you are extremely angry, or you are extremely uh, scared, or you're extremely courageous, or you're extremely happy, any extreme emotion, what do you use? Fu'ad. Under normal circumstances, what do you use? Qalb. Okay? So there are two examples of it. One, one I'll give you now before the break, and one inshallah ta'ala after the break when we come back. One example of Fu'ad I want to give you is Inna sam'a wal basara wal fu'ada kullu ula'ika kana anhumas'ula. Allah says, no doubt about it, the seeing, or the, the hearing, and the seeing, and the fu'ad, each of them will be interrogated. As far as with him, each of them will be asked about. Meaning on judgment day, you will be asked about what you heard, you'll be asked about what you saw, and you will also be asked about your heart. But which kind of heart did Allah mention in the ayah? Fu'ad. Fu'ad. Fu'ad is normal heart or excited heart? It's an excited heart. So why mention the excited heart in this ayah? Just one or two benefits of that I want to mention to you now. 
In the United States, we have an interesting genre, an industry really, of uh, you know, medical psychology, clinical psychology. And it's playing a role also now in the judiciary system. So for instance, there's a, a driver who is driving at 120 miles an hour, and the police are running after him, and eventually they catch up to him, and when they catch him, they not only drag him out of the car, they give him a few beatdowns, and it's all caught on video. And he sues them because it's police brutality. And the police lawyer then makes the case that at high speeds, the adrenaline is high in the body, and so there are certain chemical reactions in the brain that make you become more aggressive, and so it wasn't the police officer's fault, it was the chemicals in his brain that beat that guy. So there's a medical explanation for why that happened. Don't hold him responsible. I'll give you another example. Sometimes you've had a bad day at work. Gentlemen, you've had a bad day at work. And when you've had a bad day at work and you got stuck in traffic for a long time, you finally get home. She's been home. When you're in a bad mood, who gets to receive your bad mood? easy victim. So she opens the door. I don't know if I told you the story before. I don't care if I did. I'll tell you again. <laughs> she decided that she's going to dress nicely for you and put makeup on and make your favorite dish and put a candlelight at the dinner table. She even took her glasses off. <laughs> but you're in a bad mood. Because you were stuck in traffic, and your boss was yelling at you, and you didn't finish your task in time, and all of these problems. So you opened the door, and she's standing right at the door. Assalamualaikum. <laughs> but you're in a bad mood, so what do you do? You look at her face, and you say, <laughs> You think taking your glasses off makes you look better? <laughs> and she says, No, taking my glasses off makes you look better. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> but anyway, so you guys have a fight, whatever, you know, things aren't good, words are exchanged, he starts eating the food and he says, is the economy that bad, you couldn't put some more salt in here, is it really that difficult, you know? I specifically asked you for water. Why are you giving me orange juice, etc., etc.? And she says, well, you know what? If you really want orange juice, go squeeze some oranges yourself. And then he gets angry at her, and he walks out of the house. He just walks out of the house. Then he comes back after two hours. She's already lying down pretending to sleep. So he comes over, and he says, hey. She doesn't say anything. Hey, I know you're awake. And she goes, what? Hey, come on. Sorry. <laughs> okay, fine, whatever. No, no, sorry. Mm-hmm. No, no, you don't understand. I had a long day at work. I got stuck in traffic. My boss yelled at me. I was so stressed out. That wasn't me. That was my Fuad. <laughs> this is me. 
I hope you're understanding the point I'm trying to make. <laughs> Sometimes we misbehave, we speak inappropriately, we lash out in anger, we do things that we shouldn't have done, and we say, well, that wasn't really me, that was I got really excited at the time. So you can't hold that against me. It was in the heat of the moment. Right? And so people say that when they are really angry, they say things they don't mean. Or when they're really excited, they do things they shouldn't have done. But you can't hold it against them because that's not fair. Because that wasn't my qalb, that was just my fu'ad. So don't hold my fu'ad against me, it was excited times, you know. What can I do? And Allah says, not in my court. Not in my court. I will interrogate you about your hearing, and your seeing, and your fu'ad. So you will not be able to justify your behavior. Sometimes there are fathers who are so angry with their sons, they yell and they scream and they abuse and they insult, and then the son is like almost suicidal and he's lying down in his bed, 18-year-old boy crying in his bed, and his mother comes up to him and says, you know your father loves you. He's, he gets like that sometimes. It's okay, he just gets like that sometimes. There is no he gets like that sometimes with Allah. There is no explanation, oh, that's just his fu'ad. That's the old way of saying it. No, no, there's no justification. You know, he doesn't really mean it. He doesn't really mean it. Well, it, it got recorded anyway. And you'll be asked. And you don't get to say in front of Allah, you know Allah, I get like that sometimes. <laughs> what can I do? It's a, it's a problem. There are some young men who have a very hot temper. Really hot temper. Easily just flare up. You're playing some sports, talking. Somebody looks at you and goes, what? What did you say? What? Huh? 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 Hold me back. Hold me back. Like, you don't know, bro. When I get angry, bro, I just I become the Hulk. I don't even know what happened. I don't remember anything. Like, okay, yeah. So you're blaming your fuad again. The the point of the ayah is one of the points of the ayah is we do not get to blame our excited emotional states to justify our behavior. You don't get to say I was really scared. That's why I lied. Not good enough. I was really angry. That's why I hit you. Not good enough. You're not good enough. Your fu'ad is going to be interrogated. It's not off the hook. Subhanallah. The, the analysis of the Qur'an of why people misbehave is so precise. If only qalb was mentioned, then you might get away with something. Fu'ad is mentioned so you don't get away with anything. Subhanallah.